following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Yep, it's on page 1094 of the Church Bibles, Acts 42 to 47. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wonderful. Um, Thank you so much, Louise. Morning, all. Uh, Do um, grab a handout because particularly for this series, these handouts are going to be quite important because we're looking at different parts of the Bible, not least what we've just heard read, but um, you might uh, like one of these. They're underneath the seats at the end of the row. So if you're on an aisle row, you have a load of these underneath you. If you could pull them out and pass them along the row, that'd be fantastic. Um, And for those who like taking notes, you can jot down. uh, There's some pens around that you can jot things down with. Wonderful. Let's, Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we spend a bit of time thinking about why we do what we do now in this time that we have together, Lord, please help us to hear your voice. We want to do things that you would have us do in your way. And so please speak to us now. And show us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Show us all that we have in him. And Lord, encourage us and equip us to serve him, we pray. Amen. Now, uh, I don't know if you've come across these. um, Cubed watermelons, uh, first developed in uh, Japan, I'm told, in the 1970s, because... Uh, Some very clever person realized that they would fit more easily into a fridge if they're cubed, which is so true. It's a genius thing to do. And uh, so what has happened is they have a box, they put these watermelons in, and as they grow, they grow into a beautiful cube. Apparently they're very, very expensive uh, to get, but they do look incredibly cool. I'm sure you agree. Uh, Now, it's just a small picture of that, of how things can shape us and sort of reshape us and reform us or even deform us, Uh, something on the outside can have a big impact on us. And it's a picture of what happens in many ways in our lives, Uh, day by day. We are constantly being shaped, formed by what we do the habits that we're in day by day, the world in which we live, the things we go to, uh, the environment in which we live, uh, shape us in profound ways, probably in many cases in ways that we don't even realize 
is going on. Uh, one writer I've been uh, reading over the past few months is a chap called James K.A. Smith. You can tell he's a serious uh, writer if he puts initials in his, uh, in his names. James K.A. Smith. And he talks about something called liturgies of life. Liturgies of life. And what he's saying is that there, there is um, these liturgies, the sort of things that we do, habits that we get into, that have a big impact on us, particularly in the way they shape our sense of who we are, our identity, and they shape uh, our sense of what we're to do, our purpose. And he gives a famous example of going to a shopping mall and uh, how that profoundly shapes our sense of identity and our sense of purpose. And likewise, we could talk about, you know, going to work, going to school, uh, when we spend time online, when we watch TV, it's all shaping us in some sort of way. Sometimes for good, sometimes for the not so good. Here's just an example, an example of a liturgy of life that I imagine many of us um, do day by day by day. Think of your first encounter with your phone. First encounter might be uh, as soon as you get up, maybe after breakfast on your way to work. I don't know when it is. But think of that encounter. And as you go to your phone, what are the things you do? Maybe you check your WhatsApp messages. Uh, then you have a look at your emails. Maybe you go on a news feed. Uh, look at the BBC website or something like that. Look at Instagram, Twitter. Uh, check the weather. Plan your journey. There's a sort of habit that we're in, and it's shaping us. It's doing something to us. Uh, it's shaping the way we view ourselves. It's shaping our sense of identity and our sense of purpose. And there's lots of good stuff going on as we look at our phone, no doubt. Uh, we're feeling informed. We're in touch with people. It can be very relationally rich. Uh, it gives a sense of connection. We get so much knowledge from it. That's fantastic. But there are also ways in which it can be shaping us that's not necessarily so good. Maybe it's just distracting us. Uh, maybe it sets our mind first thing in the morning on a course that is actually not very good for us. Perhaps it feeds our anxieties as we compare ourselves to others. Or we feel a sense of expectation that others are wanting things from us or need things from us. Maybe it's a slightly different way in which it's slightly unhealthy. Maybe it gives us a sense of unhealthy control or power or omniscience, as though in our phone we can know anything. Just a small, simple thing that we do, we could call it a liturgy, day by day by day, it shapes us and it molds us all the time. Not all bad, but where God is not at the centre of these influences, they will ultimately be shaping us in unhealthy ways. And so if we're a Christian, if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to, to counter that. We need to be shaped by him. We need to be reformed, reshaped, reorientated by him. Now, how does God do that? How does he shape us? Well, there's so much we could say about that, and there are lots of different ways, not least it's one of the reasons why the Real Change course is such a great course to be doing, because that's profoundly thinking about how God shapes us and changes us. 
But one of the ways particularly we're thinking at the moment of how God does this is this time now. Gathering together Sunday by Sunday. Uh, Last week we thought about what it means uh, to be a church. And to be a church literally means to be an assembly. Uh, To be God's church, to be Jesus' church, is to be an assembly of Christians, of followers of Jesus coming together. And last week we thought about as we come together, we come in the company of three. We come in the company of God. God is here with us now. We come in the company of one another. As Johnny so helpfully was saying, every single one of us, a valuable member of the body. And we come in the company of the watching world. If you're not yet a Christian, you are so, so welcome here to see what Christians get up to when we assemble together. We thought about last week how six days we are largely scattered. But on a Sunday, we come together, we're gathered. And this is one of the ways, possibly the most profound way, in which God refreshes, renews, reorientates, reshapes us. So what is it that he does? How does he do it? And that is why we're spending today thinking about why do we do what we do when we gather together. In the time that we have together, so our services, we try and have our services an hour and a half. That's our aim. Don't always hit it, but that's our aim, to be an hour and a half. And then there's tea and coffee before and afterwards. What are we doing uh, in this time, and why do we do it? That's what I want us to think about now. And one way of describing this is that what we're doing is a liturgy for life, a liturgy to give life. Now, we might not think of ourselves as an especially liturgical church, In fact, we might be a little bit suspicious of liturgy. Maybe your sense of what liturgy is, you sort of think, oh, that's a bit of the ritualistic stuff, isn't it? That's the legalistic stuff, maybe the formal, the dry, the dead stuff. But if we understand liturgy to be simply the way we do things, then all churches, all churches have a liturgy. We all have a way of doing things. Uh, Matt Merker puts it like this. Every church has a liturgy. No matter how simple or complex, how short or long, each church's order of services expresses a set of theological values. And in turn, the liturgy gradually inculcates those same values in the church's members. So it's all about the way we do things and the form it takes And what I'm going to do now is just to give us a sort of overview of it, to say a little bit about the shape and the form of our Sunday services. And I hope as we go through this, we'll see how God can use this to reshape us, to reform us for our good and for his purposes. But first, just a few things I just want to say generally about our services. You'll see them there, the stars, uh, the starred items next to Um, under the Liturgy for Life on the handout uh, about our services. Here's one thing. Our services, they're historic and contemporary. So we hope they are rooted in history. We are a Church of England 
church, and we've inherited a shape to our service that is, I think, fantastic. Our services are rooted in Church of England liturgy. Um, If you go all the way back to the brilliance of Thomas Cramner in the middle of the 16th century, and then what came to be He wrote a prayer book that came to be the BCP in the middle of the 17th century, and that sort of emerged gradually into something called common worship, which the Church of England largely uses now. Uh, That is where our services are are rooted. They're rooted in history. Now, one of the good things about common worship is that it's incredibly flexible, uh, and it might even feel hidden. Uh, But we do see some of these things sort of coming through in our services. We say the confession that we said earlier. Uh, Sometimes, uh, we haven't done this for a while, but the Apostles' Creed, uh, liturgy around the Lord's Supper. Uh, And this sort of historic rooting for what we do is so important. It reminds us we're not the first Christians. Uh, I heard one writer put it like this. Sometimes, as churches, as Christians, we can think that we're like this new sapling, this new tree. Maybe particularly this is a danger for us as a church plant. A, a new church, just eight years old. We can think of ourselves as a new tree. But actually, this writer says, what we really are is just a twig on a giant oak that's been growing over 2,000 plus years that has deep, deep roots that feeds us. That's the way to understand who we are as we gather together. We are rooted in history, but also we seek to be contemporary. We want our services to connect to our lives today, and that's going to shape the way we do things. It's going to shape the way we dress. It's going to shape the language we use, the style of music we have, and a thousand other things. So I hope our gatherings, they're, they're both a sense of ancient and modern to them. Uh, That's why we wanted this building. This building is such a gift to us because it has the sense of history um, and yet the sense of being contemporary as well. So historic and contemporary. Second, planned and spontaneous. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes this of gatherings. He says that in gatherings, as Christians gather, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And so it's right that we plan our time well. We want to take care and to shape our services in a certain way so that they are orderly. So it's right that they're planned, but also we want there to be a sense of spontaneity. And I think one of the ways in which this is the case is that we're all part of the action. Do you remember last week we spoke about how uh, as we come to church, we're all on the pitch together. We're all part of what's happening. We're not in the audience watching on. We're actively involved. God is present with us right now, and he's working in every single one of us. And therefore, every Sunday is going to be different. We're not just going through the motions here. We often say as a staff team, no ordinary Sundays. There are no ordinary Sundays. So planned and spontaneous. Third, imperfect and insufficient, imperfect. You might be saying, tell me something I don't already know. Um, It's worth saying, our services are imperfect. We're growing, we're learning how to do things. 
And it's also worth saying this, no church can do everything. Uh, there'll be some things that people particularly like that we're not doing. And uh, maybe we could be doing that more, which would be great to think about. Or maybe we just can't do everything. That says, undoubtedly, there are ways in which we can be growing and developing. And actually, spending time on sabbatical, looking at other churches, uh, visiting many other churches that I did over three months over the last summer, and uh, preparing for this series, there are all sorts of things where I think, oh, we need to grow in that. So we are imperfect. It's worth saying that. Uh, it's also insufficient. Sunday is not vital though they are, we need more than that to keep going in the Christian life. Uh, to be shaped and molded, to be the people that God is calling us to be. We can't just leave it to a couple of hours on Sunday. We need fellowship through the week, which is why we have small groups, encourage one another. To, and so wonderfully, people are so great at being in touch with one another. It's why it's such a joy to be part of a local church so that we can walk through life together through the week as well as on Sundays. We need to be praying through the week. We need to be reading God's word through the week, allowing it to soak into us. Few better things to do than listen to Christian music through the week uh, or podcasts or whatever it is. Uh, it's why we put a bookstall out so that we can be feeding ourselves through the week. Sundays can't give us everything we need, central though they are. Next, revelation and response. Many of you will know that the uh, musician and songwriter Matt Redmond, and he, he speaks uh, about the gathering as being a little bit like breathing in revelation and then breathing out response. As God speaks to us, we breathe in God's word and then we breathe out our response. And there's that dynamic going on in a church service. Uh, we are hearing from God. He speaks to us through his word. And then we're responding. Responding in praise, responding in confession, responding in prayer. And finally, rhythms and retelling. And this really gets down to the heart of what I hope our gatherings are and what they're about. Uh, we might call this, uh, we want to be a church as we gather that has the rhythm of grace about it and retells the gospel story. Retells the gospel story. As we come together, as we gather together on a Sunday, uh, we will have been, as we thought about, misshapen by all sorts of things in the week just gone. Uh, all sorts of things will have impact me. I don't know how you've come this morning, but no doubt there's so much going on in all our lives in so many different ways. And what we need to know more than anything is the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the story of him. And here's the crucial thing, and of how we fit into it, how we can be a part of it. Andrew Wilson writes this, which I quite like. You might think it's a bit cheesy. But he says this, restoring people involves restoring people. Do you see that? Restoring people needs restoring people. We need to rehear the story of the gospel. 
It's actually what God's people do again and again. If you read through the Old Testament again and again and again, when God's people gather, they retell the story of how they were rescued by God through, uh, uh, out of Egypt. And that's something we as the church are to do again and again. We're to retell the story of the rescue that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. To take the story from how God made everything out of nothing. He's the creator, how he formed us, how we're made in his image, and yet we have turned away from him. We have rejected him. The story of the fall and how our whole world has been turned upside down and everything is broken and out of sync and it's impacted every part of our life. We're thinking about that on the church weekend away. But then of how God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will live. That is the story that we are to remind one another of. Day by day. Well, on Sunday by Sunday. And here's the thing. God, God does this. He reshapes us through very normal means. I don't know if you know, the classic, this is a classic preacher's story, so forgive me for this. The classic preacher's story of the drowning man. Have you come across this story? So it's about a man who is uh, stuck in his home uh, with, a, with floodwaters coming up. And he's down in, in the valley and the floodwaters are rising. And uh, he's not worried because he believes that God is going to rescue him. God is going to save him. And so uh, there's the first scene is where the waters are coming up to around his waist. Um, and he's, he's stuck here in, in this valley in his home. But a canoeist comes by and says, um, jump in. I'll take you to safety. Here's your rescue. And he says, no thanks, I'm okay. I know that God will rescue me. Then the waters keep, keep rising, and now he's beginning to tread water. But a boat comes along, and the people in the boat say, come on, jump in. We're here to rescue you. We can take you to safety. He says, no, no, I'm okay. God is going to rescue me. But then the waters keep rising, and so he clambers up onto his roof of his house. And uh, a little bit later, he hears a massive sound of... Uh, Motor, uh, rotor blades, and it's a helicopter. The rescue helicopters come, and a man sort of comes down the winch, and he says, come with me, come on. I can take you away from this. And he says, no, no, I'm okay. I know that God is going to rescue me. And the thing about this story, it ends up with a bit of a sad ending, uh, because uh, he dies. And then in heaven, he says to God, God, why didn't you come and rescue me from the flood? To which God re- responded, well, I sent a canoe, and I sent a boat, and I sent a helicopter. And the purpose of that story is to say that sometimes we think that the way God should rescue us, the way that God should work in our lives and change us, should be sort of in ways completely out of the ordinary, in the spectacular. And sometimes he does. He does. But actually, the point of the story is to say that God normally works through means. Means that can seem really quite ordinary. Simple things. Simple things as we gather, like singing and praying and listening to Scripture, being read and taught. And through meeting with one another and chatting with one another and sharing life together. Things that really seem so normal. And yet something very, very profound 
is going on. That God is retelling us the story of the gospel and we are being drawn to him, finding our place once again in that. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some particular aspects of our service and spend a whole um, time, sermon, on it. So God's Word next week, then prayer the week after. After Easter, we're going to think about the Lord's Supper and baptism and then music. But what I just want to do now um, in the second part is really to think about the shape of our services and for us to see that the way we're trying to shape our services is we're trying to retell the gospel story through it and helping us find our place in it. So the, the shape of our hour and a half together, it goes from sort of creation to fall to recreation to consummation. So you'll see uh, on the handout uh, that we start with sort of adoration. Uh, that's the way we want to start our services, with adoration. In fact, first, we normally start with God, actually. Uh, what we'll try and do week by week. Again, we do this imperfectly, but we want to hear from God first. Uh, We'll read a verse from his word that calls us in the busyness of lives to look to him when we come into church with all the distractions going on, calling us out to look to God, to hear his voice. God is the great initiator. He initiates everything. He made us. He remade us in Jesus. He initiates our worship together as well. So, A psalm, we could read a psalm, like Psalm 100 there. This is the call to Christians as we gather. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And then in response to that, response to a word like that. We sing words like holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So do you see that, that beginning of a service? It is a pretty profound moment, actually. It's a pretty countercultural moment. We come in from the world and we hear from God and we're called to worship him. And we do that. We say, look, we're not going to worship what the world worships. We're not going to worship money, sex, power, fame, popularity, our children, our parents, whatever it might be. We're going to worship God. He alone is worthy. That is what we're doing as we gather at the start. But as we focus on God, as we've been thinking about today uh, from Isaiah 6, um, it is interesting, the more we focus on God's holiness, the more we become aware of our sinfulness of our unworthiness as we read as we've heard in Isaiah 6 Isaiah saying woe is me face before a holy God woe is me I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty and that's why we move to a time of confession that's why we have a time of confession now again this is not perfect Uh, The sharp-minded among you will spot that uh, we normally have an all-age song and some actions and uh, a church family focus and then a two-minute break. So, but you get the broad narrative. We want to do that because, as I said last week, we want to be all together as a church. That's why it's so important to have our church family focus time. But we sort of pick up the narrative, as it were, as we come back and we'll have that time often of confession 
uh, where we come before the Lord. And it's the time, really, of honesty. Uh, Coming before him. He calls us to come before him in confession. Uh, We see that in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 1 John 1 puts it like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So it's a moment of honesty. We come before God. But it's a moment of great hope as well. We do so knowing that as we come before him, there is forgiveness. 1 John 1 again. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So in the liturgy that we follow, in the C of E liturgy, confession is always followed by assurance. Assurance that in Christ there is forgiveness. In Christ our our sins are washed away. That we can know him. That we're adopted into his family. And that is why particularly that time of singing that we often have after the confession, that is a time to remind one another of the truth of the gospel to one another. Our world is full of false assurances, isn't it? So often people say, give false assurances uh, when we're in trouble. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm sure everything will be fine. Everything will work out. Or it's, just, it's not your fault. But God's word does something very different. It doesn't minimize sin and its consequences. It names it, but then it declares that there is full and free forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's this that we spend most of the rest of our time dwelling on. Uh, the f- third part of our service, redemption, where we really spend our time on uh, what is true in Christ, that we are recreated. Uh, this is what the early church really dwelt on too. So our reading from Acts 2, 42, gives this lovely picture of what Christians first did when they gathered together. They devoted themselves, we read in verse 42, Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And what we do is we see here some of these ordinary means of grace that God gives us, that he works profoundly through us. That prayer, we're going to think about that, as I say, more in a couple of weeks' time. But it's a great way of us responding to God. Uh, Prayers of all kinds uh, for our world, our community, our church, ourselves, as we've been praying today. Uh, We hear the word read and preached. Again, more on that next week. Uh, but it's crucial that we, we read God's word publicly. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Another part of this, as I said earlier, is, is the creeds. Uh, we did a series not so long ago on the Apostles' Creed. And that's just such a wonderful way of rooting ourselves in history and across geography. Uh, I love the way Andrew Wilson uh, Put it again, Andrew Wilson, uh, to quote him a second time today, he speaks of these ancient creeds and other prayers uh, from history, and he says this, um, it challenges both our ethnocentrism and our chronological snobbery as we declare truths and say prayers written by Asians, Africans, Europeans, and Americans who lived and died before anesthetics or electricity. It's a great thought, isn't it? 
That's why it's so rich, actually, to have prayers uh, from the past. We also spend time uh, with the word enacted, uh, baptism. It's always such a joy to have baptisms. Who will forget the baptisms we had uh, a couple of months ago? Uh, What a powerful thing that is to do together. And uh, when parents bring their children for baptism, what a joy that always is and an encouragement. And likewise, the Lord's Supper. Uh, That's something they were devoting themselves to. It seems here in Acts 42, these um, breaking of bread, that's probably a fellowship meal, but it might well have been followed uh, by the Lord's Supper. And certainly we know that week by week, the early church, they gathered to break bread. Uh, More of that in in a few weeks' time. But uh, the Lord's Supper, baptism, it's just a tangible way. It's a tangible, visible word of God to us for our encouragement. Then offerings. Um, This passage actually goes on in Acts 2 to show how the church, the early church, they shared what they had with one another. There was amazing generosity uh, going on there. And that was a practice of the early church. We see in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's instruction, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, we don't do an offering that way. We don't sort of turn, pass around the collection plate in quite the same way. Uh, In a world of direct debits, uh, that's just a much easier way to give. But the danger is that we forget that actually our giving is part of our worship and part of our collective worship. Uh, We try and bring that in. We have two sort of giving Sundays uh, a year and... um, but perhaps we need to be uh, bringing that a little bit more into our life together as a church. Our giving is part of our worship. Uh, then fellowship. Just to uh, say just a few words about fellowship as we come into land. It's a vital part here of Acts 2, the church together. It's shot through the New Testament that you just see the closeness of relationship between Christians. Um, and it's quite striking how uh, Paul constantly um, encourages Christians to meet one another. And he says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. I've actually put all the references there that refer to a holy kiss. Um, Now, I think that's culturally bound, a holy kiss. Uh, You might be relieved to know. But it's a sense of warmth and affection towards one another. And I see that every time we gather together as a church, there's just a sense of warmth and affection for one another. And that is as it should be. As we come together, however it is, give a hug, handshake, smile, whatever it might be, but a sense of togetherness. And that is why having tea and coffee before and after the service is so important. Uh, Right from the start, right from our very first service here, we had tea and coffee right at the start before we get going. Because it's a sense of, we're here, we're together, let's greet one another before we come to worship the Lord together. And so, if you're able to, I know people coming from things and it's not always possible. Getting out of the house, not always easy. But coming before for tea, coffee, that's such a valuable time, as well as staying afterwards. And there can be so many different... I just want to say something about the different types of conversations we can have to, to free us up for this, as it were. Um, sometimes in uh, marriage uh, courses uh, that I've been involved in, we've talked about five different ways of communicating 
uh, with one spouse. And I think this is true for us as a whole church, with just uh, fellow Christians. The five Fs, uh, inverted triangle, uh, you'll see it there, from the frivolous to the factual, to fellowship, to feelings, to freedom. Frivolous? That's the sort of thing, it's just been such a cold week, isn't it? Um, factual? Did you watch Match of the Day last night? That would have been a factual one. A fellowship? You could perhaps share a story going on in your life. Feelings? That's when you open up that little bit further. Sharing your joys, sharing your sorrows. Things you're thankful for, things you're anxious about. Freedom? Those are those moments where you just go in deep with someone. You pour out your heart with them. And I want to encourage us as a church to be doing all of those things. The frivolous and the factual, that is excellent. That is not ungodly. It is really important to talk about those things. Uh, it's fun. It builds connection with one another. It builds trust. It's the art of relationships. That's wonderful. But don't let's leave it there. Let's drill down as well in our relationships with one another. Let's feel able to share our lives together. Share our feelings Have trust and confidence in one another such that we can go that deep dive with one another. And I think all of this is going on in our church, and I want to encourage us to continue with that. And then the final part of the service, which we're coming to now, is the sense of commission. As we've been together for an hour and a half, we hopefully have been encouraged to some degree, we've been restored through the gospel. And then we're sent out. Uh, Not just this is the end of a a service, uh, time for some refreshments, but actually a sense of commissioning. We gather together and then we go as God's people into the world to serve him, to love others. And so that's why uh, we'll often finish with with a prayer of blessing, And that prayer of blessing is saying, look, we go with God's favor, with God's blessing, because of all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it might be one of these prayers or a version of it. Numbers 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Or maybe 2 Corinthians 13, another very familiar one. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or any number of other prayers prayers of blessing. But we go with God's blessing and we're sent out into the world. We're gathered and then we go. Now why spend some time doing all of this? I think often in the evangelical world, Uh, We can reduce services. We can reduce times together. Sometimes we think, well, it's all about the singing, and there's a sort of talk. Or sometimes we put all the focus on the sermon, and then we forget about what's around it. And I want to say everything, all of this is important. Our whole time together, from the moment we walk through the doors to the moment we leave, God is using it. It feels very ordinary. It looks very ordinary. But God is using that to reshape our hearts, to retell us the good news of the gospel. That in Jesus we have our identity as we put our trust in him. We have our purpose to love him, to love others, to serve him, 
all the days of our life until he returns and brings in the new creation. And I hope that's your experience, that as you come, you feel realigned, as it were, recalibrated, reshaped. And as that happens week by week and month by month and year by year, that has a profound impact on each one of us. Let's just take a moment of quiet to think about that, to dwell on that. Uh, Maybe think, how has the Lord been speaking to you now? How has he realigned you? What is it about him that you need to know to reshape our hearts as we head out into a new work, into a new week? A band will come up and we're going to then turn to praise God together. Father, we just want to thank you so much for church, for being able to gather, for these means of grace that you have given us, for the opportunity to hear your story, the story of your son and how we can be a part of it to remind ourselves of this, to recommit ourselves to you, and to be sent out into the world, Lord. Please, might we know your love, might we know your comfort, might we know your challenge, might we know the assurance of following Christ. Might we know our identity and our purpose in him. In his name. Amen. Amen.